Hey everybody, welcome to episode 329 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'll be joined by a guest today in an episode that I think you guys will find fun. This idea came to me through Nicole Winter, who I've had on the podcast with her follower Q&A. She's a running influencer and content creator on Instagram. You can follow her on Nicole M. Runs on Instagram, a great follow. She's also been on the show talking about her own goals in episode 278. If you want to go back and listen, I coach her. She runs in the group we call the Rogue Morning Show, which is the Wednesday morning group I coach here in Austin. And she had the idea, along with some of her teammates from the group, to come on the show and be the host and actually ask me questions since I don't talk about myself that much. And she wanted to dig in on some questions. And so she's pulled questions for me from members of the morning show. And so you guys get to, through this episode, get to know your host a little bit better. I would say also having already recorded the episode, there's some good nuggets in there for your own motivation and training as well. Nicole had some great questions for me and I'm excited to share that conversation with you. Before we get there, I wanted to quickly shout out my sponsors for this episode. I've actually got three. I want to give a, spon- a shout out to my sponsor, Run Janji. You can find them at Janji.com, J-A-N-J-I. You can use my code ROGUE15 for 15% off. won't be talking about them anymore in this episode, but did want to lead off with a conversation quickly about Janji. They're a great partner. I've been now with me for about four months and we're actually expanding our partnership. They also just released their fall seasonal items and gear and a new shoe partnership and co-launch with Sportiva that looks pretty cool. So if you'd like to go check out their new Sportiva John G trail shoe, you can also go find that at runjohnji.com. But again, you can use code rogue15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5 for 15% off. Also have to give a shout out to my other two sponsors for this episode, Better Help and Care Of. We'll be talking more about them mid-episode and we'll have offer codes for you later. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But that's it for my intro. Let's jump into my conversation with Nicole. She's talking to me and get to know me a little bit more through this episode. Here we go. All right. Welcome, Nicole Winter, to the show. Thank you. It's good to have you on. Thanks for being here. Last time I got to ask you questions when you were on the podcast, at least when you were on the episode where we were talking about you. We've done Q&As together, but yeah. last time you were here with me, I was asking you about your running story, and now you're going to flip the script mm-hmm. and talk about me, which I'm a little bit uncomfortable with as someone who likes to have the main mic and control. So how, first, so let's just start with how this came together. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, I run with Chris. The morning show, which is funny that it's called that because I always just think of Chris's running group <laughs> or rogue running. Yeah. Um, and the gals and I, maybe the guys as well, um, we started talking about all the things we don't know about Chris. So that's kind of just how this came about. And I proposed it to Chris saying that it would be good to have an episode with you where people can refer to it to know more about you, more about your training, etc. So here we are. Here we are. I like the idea enough to actually let you do it. Yeah. So I am turning the reins completely over. I don't have any idea what questions are going to be asked, but it is interesting personally, just reflecting on this. I think only a few times on the show have I actually had somebody interview me. So I'm used to having control 
Which yeah, is... Chris doesn't like to talk about himself, <laughs> which is one thing that you'll get to learn about him. Right. Um, so here we go. But yeah, get to know the host. We're only 320. Yeah. This is our 329th episode. We're only 300 plus episodes in before I finally get to some of this. So yeah. here we go. But you, the show is yours it's now, Nicole. Okay. Take it. All right. We're going to start with a little taste of your own medicine. Okay. You're on death row. What's your last meal? Okay, well, I feel like we have to give a little context here. Uh-huh. I do an icebreaker with my group for anybody who's new. And when they show up on Wednesday morning, their first time, they have to answer a question, which has been my question for a long time. I've actually changed it a little bit, slight tweak. But the basic question is, if you had one last meal on this planet, what could you get? Yeah, death row, I guess, is a little bit. Well, I used to call it the death row meal because that's the way this icebreaker was introduced to me. But then I learned that they no longer do this on death row. So I took out the death row part of it. I didn't know that. That's really sad. I took that part out because it's also a little bit morbid and just simply said, okay, what's your last meal? If you had one last meal, I guess it's still morbid. But the reason I like the question is because, yeah, if if you ask somebody their favorite meal, you get a different answer than if you ask them their last meal. I feel like people go more comfort food. You kind of get to know someone a little better with the last meal question. So what's my last meal? It's very, very straightforward. It's very clear in my mind. There's a, there's a barbecue place in Houston, Texas called Good Company Barbecue. It's on Kirby. Highly recommended. I used to go there when I was in college. And so I would get their two meat special. Give me brisket and turkey. They give you two sides, which for me in this case would be double the jambalaya Okay. with they have a jalapeno cheese bread that goes on the side and pecan pie to chase it all down. Wow. That's very specific. (laughs) So there you go. That would be my last meal. I like it. All right. Cool. I'm a huge barbecue fan, but I don't get that much of it because my wife is mostly vegan. Okay. So I have to, when I do get it, indulge in that This I would go all the way. What's your favorite barbecue in Austin? I like Rudy's, to be honest. I think that is probably an answer that most people won't give because it's not one of the more famous ones that you hear about. Nothing wrong with Franklin's and all of that, but the to-do about getting it is just too much for me. I love the fact that Rudy's is simple. You walk in there, it feels like a gas station because some of their stores are also gas stations. And you get in line and they've got the cutter cam and you just, you order meat by the pound and they slice it right in front of you. And then you never have to wait. It's good. It's solid. You get all the meats you want and the quality is consistent regardless of which one you go to. So I'm a Rudy's barbecue guy. Our meat lovers right now are drooling (laughs) thinking about this. So if you're in Austin, go to Rudy's. It's not one you'll hear about on the famous list, but it's a solid I'll have to go. I still haven't been. Um, Okay. That was just a little icebreaker like you do to us. So now we're going to go back to the basics. Uh, We want to know who you are and where you're from. Okay. Who you are. That's not Coach Chris. (laughs) It's a good question. So I grew up outside of Dallas. Oh, I thought it was Houston. No. Wow. Okay. In a Dallas suburb, pretty far outside of Dallas, 30, 40 minutes or so to the east I lived in a town called Rowlett, Texas. That was about, I think I remember on the city sign, it's 18,000 people. We didn't even have a high school when I started wow. high school. 
So I went to school mostly in Garland, which was an adjacent suburb, which is a little bigger, I think about 200,000 people at the time. And so we would drive there and I grew up on land that was originally owned by my great aunt. And when I was growing up, she lived next door to us. She'd given a plot of land to my dad and to my dad's cousin on either side of her house. And she had a house that was built in the 1800s. It was like a super cool old, old house with a wraparound porch. And, and she was older, had lost her husband, but lived there by herself. And we would go over there and she would make us pancakes every Saturday morning. But anyway, but we had a bunch of land that was hers behind us with creeks and pastures and horses and cows. And, and so I grew up basically just running around with my shoes off all over that land, enjoying a very, very free childhood while also going occasionally into Dallas to the quote big city to go to sports games and things like that. And also went to, you know, fairly normal schools as a part of the Garland school district at the time. Wait, so you didn't end up going to the high school in your hometown? No, because we didn't have one. We didn't have one. It didn't come. The Rowlett High School didn't come until I think I was a junior. My brother went there. He was two years younger than me. That's crazy. But we didn't have a high school until then. And so I went to what was called South Garland High School, for those that know the Dallas area. And so, yeah, I grew up that way. I grew up mostly playing soccer. That was my primary sport. I played every sport for fun, but I played soccer competitively from the age of five or six, you know, all the way through high school and was a quiet, shy, introverted kid who was a middle child also. (laughs) Never got my way. My brother and sister always did, but that was okay with me at the time. And super academically oriented, kind of a nerd, if you want to call me that always made good grades, always was a rule follower, did everything the right way, so to speak, according to my parents' rules. And I think had a good childhood, also had a lot of freedom in that because we lived in a a place where I could basically go explore the world, Yeah, which I attribute, I think, a lot of my adventurous side now to that world of just being able to go out, you know, and we would just go and explore and get muddy and find animals and, you know, do crazy things without parent supervision behind, you know, behind the house. So would you still consider yourself adventurous today? I think so. In a sense, I'm a very measured adventurer, mm-hmm. right? I was going to say, know, you a, don't I'm scream a, adventure. I'm a measured person. So I'm not the spontaneous adventurer that you might see in other places, but, or from other people. But for me, I do like adventure, but it's a very measured adventure. It's like very thought out, very deliberate. You know, we never really traveled growing up, but I took art history in high school. And so, you know, the summer after my freshman year of college, I went to Europe with a friend and we backpacked for a couple of weeks, you know, having never had an experience like that because I liked what I learned about European art when I was in high school and I wanted to go see it in person. And so made some money myself, went on this trip without really any instruction and just, we made it happen, a friend of mine and I. So I've always done things a little bit outside of the box that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. 
And I think some of that goes back to just wandering around pastures and forests and creeks when I was growing up. Maybe subconsciously, that's why you started to like running too. <laughs> running well, around barefoot. That's a different story, I think. <laughs> that, that connects to a different Well, time. that's a good segue. <laughs> when did you start running and how did you get into it? So I think I've told this story before, but I played soccer into early college, but knew that that I was never going to be a professional soccer player and that there were that that story would end at some point. And so I ended it on my own terms and decided that I would do something else. And so I went to Rice University undergrad. We had a really great intramural program and a great club sports program. And so after I quit soccer, I I played every intramural sport available because I was competitive person who needed a different competitive outlet and who had played a lot of sports growing up. So I played literally every single sport available, including some games, some things you might consider games like billiards and ping pong. Also joined the club volleyball team, played indoor club volleyball. I imagine you would be good at volleyball because you're tall. (laughs) Well, I'm six feet, so I don't think I'm that tall for volleyball standards, but but at the time, I I played a lot of sand volleyball in high school, and so I knew it pretty well from that side. And was, we had a, a sand courts on campus, and people would see me play, and they're like, "Hey, you should come play indoor." So I started that sport when I was a sophomore in in college, even though I had never played indoor volleyball, and enjoyed that. Did that, but from a fitness standpoint, I needed a way to stay in shape. Soccer had always been that, but I didn't have that anymore. So a friend of mine who was a sweet mate had run in high school and was running on his own in college training for some races. And he said, Hey, you should come run with me. I'm doing, we had this three mile loop around campus, this crushed granite loop around campus that he would go do. And so I'm like, all right, I'll come run with you. And it turns out that 15 years on a soccer field leaves you pretty aerobically Mm -hmm. developed. (laughs) So I was, I was, you know, I was able to keep up with him and, you know, enjoyed it and was a natural. And then he got me to sign up for a race. So I did the rodeo run in Houston, which was a 10 K distance in February of, I think that was 2000, maybe 1999 or 2000. So I'm dating myself and did my first 10 K loved it. Loved the fact that I could now compete, but with myself and then became hooked. And the rest is kind of history. My dad had done a marathon, one marathon when I was growing up. So I had also seen him do that in the eighties. He did the Cowtown marathon. And so it was something that always had planted a seed with me like, Hey, I'll do that someday. So once I did that first 10 K, it was only a matter of time before I would do a marathon. So do you thank your friend? That made you go for, for sure. Run. Kevin. I mean, Kevin, his name's Kevin. Kevin. Hi, Kevin. I don't know that he listens to the main podcast, but he's in our virtual group now. Oh, he is? Okay. So, oh my God, yeah. That's he, and I ran with him actually two weekends ago in okay. New Orleans. Oh, fun. So I'm still friends with him. He was the best man at my wedding. So wow. we're, we're good friends. Okay, cool. Uh, did your siblings run? Not at the time. My brother and sister were both gymnasts. So okay. they were both pretty good gymnast. My sister did it longer than my brother did, but both were very competitive. I remember going to their gymnastics meets and sitting in the car because I didn't want to watch them for hours on end when, when I was growing up, but they were both very good at it. Much more, much more adept at that sort of movement than I ever was. They're also <laughs> more fearless than me. 
So neither of them did it growing up. My sister has gotten into it later in life. My brother's always been more of a strength related athlete. So he does a lot of lifting now and is more focused on that. But my sister has gotten into it. I also coach her. She's in in my podcast, right? She's been in my uh, renegades group now for many years and got her to a Boston qualifier in Houston in January, which has been a long goal of hers. So it's been fun to bond with her through the sport later in life. Yeah, that's amazing. And then your kids, they play soccer. All my kids play soccer. My oldest also play basketball, plays basketball. My middle's now playing football of all things as a seventh grader. And my daughter dabbles in a few different things too. She's doing a little bit of dance. She's doing like a musical acting class this spring. So she's also balancing other activities. If they wanted to run as adults, would you coach them? Or I wouldn't think coach it's them. I don't yeah. think. You think the separation? I, is I mean, important. I won't coach my wife. Yeah. <laughs> she has also been a runner. Has done close to as, the same number of marathons as I have, but I refuse to coach her because I don't think that's good for our relationship. But Nothing, you did pace her, right? I have paced her. Yeah, okay. I paced her. I support her. Had have run with her many, many times. We bond over the sport for sure, and she's all, honestly an influence that got me into it too in a more serious way because. My friend got me started, but then meeting Amy at the time, I think we were both 19 when we met in college, she was training for her first marathon and she did that at 19 years old in Houston in college. And so it was way ahead of me in terms of getting that goal. I think I was 23 or 22, I guess, before I did my first. So she beat me by three years. Wow. All right. So your first race, it was the 10K? The 10K in Houston, the rodeo run. Yep. Okay. And you went straight from 10K to 26.2. I did. That wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. I think there was a half marathon that I trained for in between, but we ended up not being able to do it. It was a half in Dallas. We ended up not being able to do it, I think because Kevin got injured, but I don't remember the story. He may remember it better than I. So we missed that and then went straight to the marathon. I was actually training for the Chicago Marathon in 2000. We weren't training together, but we were training in parallel for that, Kevin and I. And then I got a stress fracture leading up to that race. So I wasn't able to actually do it until 2001, a year later. And Chicago Marathon was your first? Chicago was my first. Okay. That's a great first marathon. It is. All right. Biggest PR, which I guess, let's say, what's the biggest, let's pick the marathon. What's been like your biggest PR from like, I ran this to running faster. Oh, you mean stepwise? Yes. Yeah. That's a more concise way to put it. Interesting. Probably the marathon because I went from running did a 308 in Dallas. That was my second marathon to get my first Boston qualifier back when the standard was 310 for under 35. So it's 10 minutes faster than now than it was then. Mm Mm-hmm. But I went from a 308 to, I believe, a 255. Okay. So and what was, what was your first minutes. marathon then? I did, I guess it would have been a similar jump. I went 321 to 308 to 255. Okay. Speaking of, what are your current run goals? <laughs> well, I think this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, I've been talking about it for the last year here and there is... Chasing the marathon, going for Houston in January, trying to get as close to 240 as I can. How do you feel about that? 
Does that make you nervous, scared? It doesn't excited? make me nervous at all. I don't have nerves about it. And I'm not even scared of it. I know what I need to do mm-hmm. to get there or to give myself the best chance to get there. And I've, and I've, I have a lot of peace around the plan and just know that if I execute the plan, I'll give myself a good shot and it may or may not happen. You can't script when these things happen, but I know that I'll feel satisfied with whatever the result is knowing that I did everything I could. So that's what I'm leaning on. I'm not worried so much about the outcome. I'm just worried about the process and what do I need to do each day to keep taking steps. And while I'm not perfect on those steps, I think I have a good plan and I feel good about the process. So that's what I'm leaning into. And then we'll see what happens. I'm here for it. Um, When was the last time you trained for a marathon? The last marathon I did was October, 2021. Okay. Coming out of COVID, the first Boston coming out of COVID that was in October Mm -hmm. because it was delayed from April. Mm -hmm. That's the last time I did it. So it'll be almost two and a half years later. Yeah. that I have my next one. Since I've trained with you, I don't think we've trained at the same time. <laughs> we have for a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think we have because you you started in yeah right two right. It was yeah. twenty two right yeah. after that. So I was coming off of that marathon, and you were just getting started. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we get to the next question, talking about races, I want to talk about my sponsorship with Better Help. They are the largest online therapy provider. They make it so easy to access therapy from anywhere, including the comfort of your own home. I don't know about you, but I've had a couple of times in my life where I've been stuck in my thoughts, spinning, 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 and I really needed an outside perspective to help me straighten out those thoughts as well as give me tools to deal with what I was facing. And so there's been a couple of windows in my life where I've gone to therapy as a result, and it's really, really helped me not only straighten out my thoughts and structure them in a way that can that can be productive, but also give me the tools to cope and manage and process those thoughts so that I could deal with other situations when they popped up in my life. So if that's you, if that's something you're struggling with, then I highly recommend you start therapy and give BetterHelp a try. Again, it's entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. And again, you can do it virtually from anywhere. You go to their website, betterhelp.com. You fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And then, of course, you can switch therapists at any time. So get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash running rogue today for 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash running rogue. Go check it out. Now, back to the next question with Nicole. Okay, bucket list race. Do you have one? That one, I don't know because I don't, I don't have, okay, I guess if I had one, it would be Western States 100. That's so random. It's kind of random <laughs> because I'm not, I don't have a lot of trail races under my belt. I've done okay. 150 miler, 150 K on the trail, Okay. but I don't have attachment necessarily to races Typically, mm-hmm. you know, if there were bucket list things, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as, oh, I want to do this race or that race because it's more about goals still for me at this point. But if I think about, you know, people ask me after I did 50 miles, they're like, would you ever do a hundred? And the answer generally is no. 
But if I could do Western States, I don't know why that one has a lore for me that it draws me in. But if I could do that one, I would do it. It's kind of like, in some ways, the Boston Marathon of trail running. Okay. And you have to qualify, which means you have to do another. I mean, the, the time standards aren't crazy, but you have to do another 100K or 100 miler to qualify. Then you get in the lottery. And then, you know, usually it takes four or five years to get in. Wow. Consistently qualifying because how, how few spots there are. So it's really hard to get in. And, but if I could somehow manifest being in, then I would train for that race. I, I'm not attached to the hundred mile distance otherwise. Okay. So there you and go. Where is it? It's in California. So it starts okay. in Squaw Valley and heads towards Auburn, um, in Northern California. Beautiful. All right. So I thought you were going to say a marathon somewhere like in Europe, but no, <laughs> that I, I'm not. So direction. I'm not. I don't have any interest in destination marathoning. Okay. None. Like you're, you prefer to marathon to get your time goal and right. go do it wherever is the best place. Right. And okay. if I was going to go do something in another place, that would be a cool place. It would not be a marathon because marathoning is hard Yeah, it is, and it hurts <laughs> and you have to recover from it. I mean, no, I once did a, a walk I, in the park. I once did a 25 mile race in Europe near Chamonix which was on trail up and down crazy mountains and stuff. And that was awesome because it was just such a different and new experience. I would do things like that. And in fact, there's a, a, a stage race called the, called the trans Alpine race mm -hmm. that runs. I think they switched years. Sometimes it goes North to South. Sometimes it goes South to North from Germany to Italy oh, through the so Alps. Cool. It's like, six or seven days through the Alps where you do like 20 miles a day up and over mountains and on these beautiful trails through the Alps. That's a bucket list item. Okay. I want to do that. 20 miles a day. It's like 20 miles a day. It varies, but yeah, wow. it's, it would be super intense, but you're also, it's also just beautiful. And yeah. most of it would be hiking. You know, it's like, you're not necessarily running the whole time but right. you're enjoying the experience yeah whereas a marathon I feel like you just black out until and <laughs> with end. that event you have these set up camps between mm -hmm. right so you're going from one camp to the next you know you're sleeping in tents but you have this community feel because everybody's sleeping in tents and they're making food for you and they have all the stuff you need to recover and prep again for the next day so I think the the community vibe of that would be amazing. So that's another bucket list item. Maybe that's a rogue travel race. Right. <laughs> okay. Have you ever had to DNF? I have once. Tell us about it. So I've I've towed the line at twenty one marathons. I've finished twenty. Oh wow! The only time I DNF'd was in a marathon. Actually, I should I misspoke there. There's two times I've had to DNF. One marathon one trail the trail situation was i just had an injury i sprained my ankle severely and i wasn't able, i wasn't during and okay. i wasn't able to continue and so that was really out of my control except that i should have had a headlamp when it was dark but anyway the marathon happened that was in 2005 i was training for twin cities i was transitioning out of grad school into the working world i had three months that summer basically of time off before I started my job. May not have been quite three, but two and a half months. Starting my jog in August, finished school in May. So I had this window and 
I'd been training actively through graduate school in a really good position, had been building my, my mileage. So I said, I want to try to break 240 in the marathon at that time. And I'm, I have a summer to do it where I can train almost like an elite athlete because I don't have anything else. And my yeah. wife had started, or she was in med school or residency at that time. I think she'd started residency. And so she was crazy busy with that. So it was basically just me all day, nothing to do except run and sleep and eat. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to train like an elite for this period of time. And so I did. And I, that week I, or that summer I hit a hundred miles one week. I did a bunch of 85 to 90 mile weeks. I was training on, I was doing two days. I was doing everything possible to, to gear up for twin cities actually. Which is a week in October, before Chicago, right? Which is a week before yeah. Chicago and the rogue destination race this yeah. year. I'm going there to do the 10 miler this year. And so I was, and I was so fit. But I started my job in August and it was an intense strategic management consulting job. Yeah, I was just thinking that start plan for the job yeah. doesn't really line and up. So I had basically a month and a half between starting and the race. And that's, you know, the window of time where you want to be honing in your best fitness. And ultimately, I got on a project that was really intense right away. So I was working... I don't know, 70, 80 hours a week while also trying to run the same volume. And I was dumb enough to not make adjustments. And so I was just doing it all. I would work until 10 PM and I would go run for two hours and then I would go to bed and I would do it again the next day. And, and it was quote fine in the moment as someone who was, I guess, 26 years old and I got through it, but then I got to race day and I had given everything I had already. So I started that race. It was a little bit warm also that morning. And I was going to be stubborn. And I said, I'm going to go for it no matter what. Started that race. Actually felt pretty good for the first 10 miles or so. I thought, well, hey, maybe I can do this. And then somewhere around mile 12 or 13, I describe it to people like when Obi-Wan Kenobi powered down the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> And he, you know, flips that switch and it's like, a little dramatic. That's what happened to my body. (laughs) And so I went from running low six minute pace to seven minute to seven 30 to eight minute pace. And I just felt like I had no control over it. My Mm -hmm. body just shut down. And so my wife was meeting at mile at mile 18 was meeting me at mile 18 to hand off a bottle that I'd asked her to have for me. And I saw her and I walked right I I stopped walked right past her and I said I'm done oh my god were you and, emotional and I, and or I were walked you just off spent? the course no I was just spent yeah. I got in the car and I fell asleep within minutes in the front seat while she was driving did she try to get you to keep going or she just she knew? did briefly yeah she was like, no, you know, but I think she also knows, you know, she knows me and she knows I don't make any decision lightly. She knows mm-hmm. I'm a very measured person. So she didn't fight me for long. She's like, oh, okay. And so I got in the car. I fell asleep right away. And, you know, you hate to DNF, but in the moment it was the only choice. Mm-hmm. If I had tried to push through very deep fatigue that I was already feeling, it would have been a bad decision. So I stopped and 
that's what I had on that day. And I went on to be smarter about my training. The rest of that fall was able to do some shorter races and sort of quote salvage that fitness. But, but yeah, that was my only willful DNF. What would you tell somebody that you coach when would be an appropriate time to not finish a marathon? I think anytime you, you think your health is at risk certainly is a time not to finish. I mean, I've had a runner black out and have to go to medical within 400 meters of a finish line. And I wouldn't fault anyone for getting to that point and saying, okay, I'm done. (laughs) This isn't safe. He ended up in the med tent, didn't remember, but. This wasn't at the Austin Marathon. It was actually. I think I watched it happen. This would have been before your time. Oh, no, it wasn't this last one. No, no, no. Okay. No, this would have been back on the old course. It would have probably been around. 2014 or so. Um, we saw so, this happen to someone this year. That's why. I yeah, it happens, asked. right? So yeah. if your health, if your health is at risk, I also think that if you know, in that case, I'd given everything. My health probably wasn't at risk, mm-hmm. but I was risking digging a hole that would have been hard to come out of. Yeah. So I guess in a sense, my health was at risk. I also knew that I'd given everything. You know, I think. I also think back to when I f- walked the last five miles of the Boston Marathon in 2016 or 17 because I had a stress fracture. Didn't know about it at the time, but I had a stress fracture in my heel that was incredibly painful. And all I could do was walk. So I walked. I walked to the finish line. And in that way, I gave everything I could. Mm-hmm. On that day in Twin Cities, I had given everything I could to that point, And giving more would have been dangerous. So I quit so to speak, quote unquote, walked off, quit. but it was the right decision. I don't, you know, people always say, well, don't you need redemption? I've never gone back to do that marathon, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I needed a redemption. It was just that that's what I had on the day. I gave what I could and there was not more to give. And I put myself in a bad position. It, those were bad training mistakes leading up to that day that got me to that point. I've learned a lot more. I wasn't even really a coach at that point, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd been learning and coaching myself, but, but anyway, that was the right decision on the day. I didn't have anything to redeem. It'll be fun to go back because I think that's a great race. Yeah. Why aren't you doing Twin Cities instead of Houston? The timing isn't right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is it because of your DNF? No, I'm no, I don't have, I don't harbor anything with it. I really don't. Maybe next year. Truthfully, I don't. <laughs> I just don't, I don't feel like I owe myself anything there. And, but if there was a time and a place where I wanted to do that race and it made sense, I would, Mm. but this time Houston made more sense given what I felt I needed to do to prepare. Twin Cities wouldn't have been enough time. Is Twin Cities flat? It's not flat like Chicago or Houston, but it's not Austin either. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's probably closer to like a Dallas, you know, where you have some undulation, but nothing that, you know, nothing you have to dramatically crazy. adjust your plan for. I think the knock, quote, quote unquote, knock on Twin Cities is that the hill, the biggest climb is at mile 21. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So yeah. it comes at a tough time. It's yeah. not it's not a massive hill by, by any standards. It just kind of goes for a while and it's fairly gradual. 
but it comes at a time when it's hard in a marathon. So mm-hmm. I think some people don't like that, but then you get a nice downhill like to that. the finish. <laughs> <laughs> then you get some nice downhill to the finish. Okay, cool. All right. So you didn't have a run coach. When was that? You said 2005 when you DNF? When I DNF 2005. Okay. When did you first hire a run coach? So that really came when I, when I became a part of Rogue in 2010. Okay. I didn't have to hire one because I was, I I, I bought in as a co-owner and joined Team Rogue. And so at the time, John Shrupp, I believe maybe it was Steve still, Steve Sisson. I've had a few different coaches, but I think, I guess it was Steve at the time. Steve Sisson was my first true coach outside of myself and I've, but I've had several since John Shrub, Steve Sisson, Scott McPherson, Kathy Casey, Ryan Ponsonby, Brad Hudson for a little bit. So we, we've had a handful of coaches come through that group that have led me. And I am a prototypical, what sometimes we refer to as a dumb athlete, which is a, it's a compliment when we say that, but just someone who is just going to cede everything to the coach and just do what they say. And that's, I know enough to know that I shouldn't overthink my training. I get somebody I trust. I let them lead and I follow that. doesn't mean I don't think and interact with them in a way any athlete should, but I'm not sitting here thinking, Oh, I wouldn't do that. You know, I would do it differently. Obviously everybody has their own style, but I'm not trying to run the show. I just want to be a dumb athlete, show up. I mean, I don't even read my coach's emails, you know, which I'm sure some people don't read mine. That gives I, me stress. <laughs> I just show up and do what the workout is. Tell me what it is. You and don't I'll go prepare do it. for the workout mentally. I don't. Wow. That's a, would have been a good question to ask. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess I said, how did you pick a run coach yourself? But you didn't really pick. I didn't really pick. No he was already coaching that group and I jumped in and the thing about that situation was, you know, I wouldn't be involved with rogue if rogue didn't align. Rogue was founded in 2004. For those that don't know, started by Steve Sissing, Ruth England, Carolyn Mangold as an outcropping of run text, which used to be a running store here in Austin. I didn't get involved until 2010. I knew them and I knew Rogue's story in parallel to my own running journey. By the time I lived in Houston, didn't make sense. I was working a different job. I was in management consulting. But then I quit my job and was looking to align my career with my passion for running. And so I got involved with Rogue at that time. But I wouldn't have gotten involved. We spent about six months just going through the process of talking through our vision for the business and how we would work together. And we were very deliberate about it. Talking about philosophy on coaching and at the time retail. So it was, it was actually a very measured process. As I said, I'm a measured person. Don't make any decisions lightly. So getting involved with rogue was a six month process for me, in which case I was aligning what I already believed from a coaching principle standpoint with what rogue believed. And we were fingers in a glove in a sense that they had a philosophy that already aligned with mine. And so then it was, okay, I'll jump into this. I believe in it and I can learn from it. Let's go. Cool. So then that's not what inspired you to become a run coach or it, 
Is that the inception of when you started? No, I mean, running coach for me started before that. Okay. It started honestly when I got that stress fracture leading Mm -hmm. up to my first marathon in 2000. I was a soccer player who was following a training program that I found online. I believe it was a Hal Higdon program, which, you know, he's got great free programs for all levels. But I only knew what I knew from soccer, which is that you push, you go hard, you do as much as you can, and the outcome will come from that work. I didn't understand how measured you had to be in training. I certainly didn't understand the modulation of training with running. So I was doing too much, too soon, too far, too fast. Made all the mistakes in my first marathon training block. Essentially leading myself and through a Hal Higdon program. And as a result, I got injured. Initially it was shin splints, but I was stubborn and just kept powering through. And then it turned into a tibial stress fracture which was diagnosed before Chicago. I mean, even when I got the stress fracture diagnosis, diagnosis, I was still trying to train through it. I did a three hour elliptical effort one time thinking, well, if I can just keep my aerobic fitness, I'll be able to do the marathon. Well, that was dumb. And anyway, but fast forward, I couldn't do the race. Had to basically set out for three months to heal my shin. And during that time, again, this is dating myself. I just knew that I was never going to let that happen again. Like I needed to learn how to properly coach myself. And so again, dating myself at the time, you know, Barnes and Noble was like a thing where you could go there and sit on the beanbags and like read any book you wanted without buying it. You can still do that if I, you want. <laughs> if you want. It's just not a thing, right? This Back reminds when I, me like, of, that time, it was a thing. This reminds me of when you asked me if I knew what an answering machine was. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I, anyway, Barnes I, and Noble. Uh, I make too much perhaps of our age difference, but in Barnes and Noble. And so I went there and I would read every running coaching book I could find. I started studying the sport from an elite coaching perspective, becoming a fan and therefore learning what elites were doing. And that was the beginning of my coaching journey was I'm never going to get, let this happen to me again. I want to train the right way. I want to do this the right way. I don't know anything. I'm going to learn. And so I was a self-taught coach essentially pouring through everything I could. And, and that has continued to this day. I'm still self-taught. I don't have any certifications, but you know, but my coaching journey, my more formal coaching journey actually started initially just coaching friends. They would say, Hey, you've done a marathon. Will you help me coach a marathon? And so I would write little programs on the side for them. And then when I was in grad school, we had an organization that was sort of running in triathlon focused there at UT. And we decided we were going to have a group train for cap 10,000 from the business school at UT. And so I coached a big group of my classmates to train for cap 10 K as a part of my second year of grad school. And so that was my first formal coaching experience. Went on to do kind of more on the side coaching from there until I got involved with Rogue. And then Rogue was my first full-time coaching experience. Okay. And no, you said no certifications? No certifications. You like the smartest run coach I feel like ever 
to not have. <laughs> well, the certifications in our sport aren't well, very anybody useful. Can get them. Yeah, they're yeah. not very useful. I mean, you're sitting through a weekend to get a USATF or mm-hmm. a RRCA certification. Not that the information is bad, but you're getting that over the course of two or three days lecture style. You're getting a certificate at the end, which just isn't real coaching. I mean, you might have knowledge, but then applying that in a coaching context is very different. And so I feel like I had all the knowledge I needed that, Mm -hmm. you know, I probably got, you know, times 10 or more from the books that I had read that I would have gotten from a weekend doing that. And then now I have this practical experience going back to 2005 and then really intensely starting in 2010 when I started what was not then named, but is now named the morning show in the fall of 2010. And so now I have just thousands of athletes that I've coached through all different scenarios, all different levels. And I have just so much to draw on while of course, continuing to learn and read and follow the sport in a way that has me, you know, has me evolving as I go. I would rather work with somebody who's worked with athletes for that long and with that many versus somebody who just had a certification. You know, I think it takes a lot to become a coach. It's the better it's, it's yeah. Experience is better. I mean, you need the the head knowledge too, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to apply it. And I think the underrated part of coaching is just the people skills, the, what, you know, some people call EQ, emotional quotient, mm-hmm. the, the emotional intelligence to be able to read somebody, know what they need to hear, help them work through whatever they might be facing outside of their training that might be impacting their training. Not that I'm a therapist, but sometimes you have to play a little bit of a therapist to help mm-hmm. people work through things. And I try to keep boxes around that, but it's meeting people where they are. It's learning to motivate. I mean, there's just a lot to it that goes beyond just the X's and O's of writing a program. Right. Yeah, you definitely do play therapist sometimes. <laughs> um, okay. We answered. Well, okay. We talked about sports and childhood. We talked about your job a little bit, but let's say you weren't a run coach. What would your current career be now? Anything you wanted. It doesn't have to be what sure. you used to do. Sometimes I think about being a journalist. Okay. Of some variety. In sports? In sports. Or in, okay. In sports. Yeah. Sports journalism, whether I, I enjoy writing, I'm not. I'm very slow writer. I think I'm a decent writer, but I enjoyed that. So could be writing, could be TV. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Could be just audio. I'm a huge sports fan. I love every sport. If it's, you know, if it's played or if there's competition involved, you know, I will go watch it. I'll get excited about it. I can dig into it. You know, whether that be figure skating at the Olympics or, curling at the winter Olympics or gymnastics or, you know, soccer, certainly. I mean, I'm just a huge fan of sport. And so I would love to be a sports analyst of some variety, whether that be print or TV. And just, I think my dream job would be to have like the Bob Costas role on like the summer Olympics where you get to recap all the things plus interview the medalists. That would be such a cool job. That kind of surprises me. I don't what know did you why. expect? I don't know what I expected, but I'm still surprised. Was college football a big deal for you last weekend? Yes and no. I am not a college football fanatic. Okay. I 
went to UT for grad school. So they're my team for, from a college football perspective, but I don't live and die by it. Like some people, mm-hmm. I do watch most of their games and I'm tormented as a fan. So I'm at least that invested, Okay, but I'm not somebody who's had this on their calendar for months and is just like, Oh, we finally you're, get to do it. I'm more of an NFL. We're talking football. I'm more of an NFL yeah. fan than I am a college football fan. Okay. So you're never going to miss a long run for a game. Never. Okay. Never. <laughs> okay. Are you a coffee drinker? I do not drink coffee. Caffeine. I drink caffeine, but not because I need it. I, I'll drink soda on occasion that has caffeine in it. Okay. But not because I need the caffeine, but just because I like the taste. So 4.30 a.m. before the morning show. No coffee, Nothing. no caffeine. Okay. Wow. Never, I've never used it. In college, there was a semester where I pulled three all-nighters a week. This was bad. But to do problem sets, I was in organic chemistry, like multivariable calculus. And then I think some stats class that was really intense. We had these tough problem sets. And so they were all due on different days and I would just stay up all night and do them the night before and then go turn them in the next morning and then sleep the rest of the day. Never used caffeine to stay awake. Always for me, it was cold water. Like the coldest water I could get would keep me awake in those moments. And so still to this day, that's what I use. Just give me a nice cold water. Coffee, it's not about the caffeine. I just don't like the flavor or smell of it. Okay. You don't like the smell of coffee? We no. found your serial killer trait. <laughs> okay, let's talk about one of my other sponsors for this episode, Care Of. They've been a partner of mine now for a couple of years. And I used to be the the guy who was someone who didn't think you needed supplements. But something I've learned over time is at least for some of us, we need supplements to support our performance because it's hard to get everything you need when you're pushing your body from real food. Although highly recommend you get great nutrients and supplements from real food as well. But for me, I need more than that. And Care Of helps me. They're a subscription service that provides high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. And so for me, it started by having a reminder and an ability to take vitamin D on the regular. Now I've got other things included in my packs. What you can do with them is you can go to their website, you can take a quiz, which based on your goals and the things you might need in your life for performance, it will tailor some recommendations to you to include in those daily packs. You can also add other things to the equation. If you know you need something already, they give you the science behind everything. They tell you exactly what's in it. And then they create those daily packs and send them to you every month. So you just have to pull one out and take it without thinking about it. Those packs are plant-based and compostable to limit the impact on the environment without compromising on quality and safety for the products involved. And then, of course, you can always tweak things. As your goals and needs change, you can add and subtract from those packs and make those adjustments as needed via their app as well. So it's an amazing service. It's one that I use every single day. Highly recommend you go check it out and take the quiz to get started. So for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the code rogue50. That's R-O-G-U-E-5-0. Again, for 50% off at takecareof.com. That's on the first order. Get started today. You won't regret it. Okay, back to Nicole's questions. Here we go. Okay, favorite meal after a long run? I'm a huge sucker for a brunch. Give me pancakes, eggs, bacon, The works. The works. But no coffee. (laughs) No coffee. Okay. Who do you think you are giving us so many miles? 
That was a very <laughs> specific question. And I'm not going to say who asked. So that, that sounds a bit of an accusatory question. Like, <laughs> who do you think you are? I mean, I'm a coach who believes in the athletes I coach. I'm a coach who believes that they're worthy of big goals. I'm a coach who believes they can do more than they think. And I'm a coach who's seen them do more than they think when I challenge them in the right way. And so to me, it's, it's not really a lot when I think about it because of what I've seen people do. And obviously, I mean, it's all about modulation. We've already talked about that. I can't push someone to a point where they're going to dig a hole. But if we modulate our training the right way, we do easy runs at the right paces, we recover appropriately, then you can do more than you think. And I get frustrated by watered down programs that you can find online or even people that I've, I saw a recent video of somebody saying that coaches were gaslighting people by telling them they should, they, they need to do long runs over three hours. And I'm just, I'm just like, what? I think gaslighting is everyone's favorite term. It is. It is. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Like people are literally accusing me of gaslighting for saying that you should do a long run over three hours if that's what's required. But anyway, but the point is we can all do more than we think. There are no arbitrary limits on human performance or potential. Those limits certainly aren't defined by your pace or your ability, which is what frustrates me about most of that type of thinking is that it's, oh, you're not fast enough for that, or you're not experienced enough for that, or you're not whatever enough for that. And the reality is the human body can do amazing things if we challenge it. And if we challenge it in the right ways, it can also perform in amazing ways. So why aren't we doing that? And so that's, that's the ethos I try to bring to our training is that we're going to do the work and we're going to see what happens. And when you do that without fail, people do things they didn't think were possible, think was possible. And that, and then you get into the fun stuff. I talked about this with the 7am kickoff. Mm -hmm. You were out running your miles already, but I told him, I said, look, if you, if you challenge yourself in these ways, then you do things you never thought possible in running, which is trivial in a sense. But once you start developing belief in running, it carries over to belief in life, yeah, 1000%. career, everything else that just magnifies your human experience in ways that you, you just can't measure and is so, so powerful. And it seems, again, trivial to pursue greatness as an individual in this running space that we do, but it has such a ripple effect. And then that ripple effect has a ripple effect. I coach a woman. Shout out to Valerie, who's my longest running athlete. She's been Aww. with me since the very beginning. Oh my gosh. She's not sick of you yet? <laughs> You'll have to ask her. Valerie, let us but know. But I've literally seen her kids grow up. Aww. You know, little, yeah. little when she started with me. Now they're both at Stanford. Oh my God. And part of the reason why they're succeeding is because they saw their mom striving and succeeding. Yeah. And it's... So that's just one example and I could give you hundreds more and it's just, it's why I do it. But it's, but it starts with being willing to challenge yourself. That was a very inspiring answer. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've been seen wearing jeans at a 530 AM <laughs> workout. Explain <It's>, yourself. <laughs> so it's Another funny. Another serial killer trait. Right. Texas is a funny place. Uh-huh. 
Is it though funny <laughs> enough for jeans at seven or five thirty? So I'm always wearing pants to coach mm-hmm. my five thirty group, regardless of the weather. Obviously, if it's cold, that's true. Actually, so if you if it's cold, you wear pants. But if it's hot like it was today, I still wear pants. The reason being because mosquitoes. Oh yeah, mosquitoes in the okay. summer are terrible, and I attract them, and I also respond to them in ways that are really frustrating. And so I wear pants to cover my legs and ankles so that I don't get bitten by mosquitoes. But jeans specifically. <laughs> well, that's just whatever happens to be <laughs> available. You, <laughs> you know, that's, okay. that's random. Okay. Yes. This one's not supposed to be offensive. Okay. And I'll explain after I, a- All right. after I ask it. Let's do it. Are you aware that the Running Road podcast is also known as the Sleepy Time podcast? <laughs> I am aware. Okay. <laughs> I've had people give me this feedback both with humor and without. Oh, wow. Including at least one of my reviews on Apple Podcasts that <laughs> that was talking about how I was putting somebody to sleep. And so I I accept that with... It is what it is. With It is what it is. Yeah, I know that... Look, I know people listen. I know that I have impact. And yes, I can sometimes drone on, especially in solo episodes that might put you to sleep. I don't even think it's about the droning on. I think your voice is just calm and relaxing. Yeah, that's better. But maybe that's that's what the review. (laughs) That's a better twist on it. But no, it doesn't. It does. Yeah. Somebody mentioned, I think it was Seth from our group mentioned that he was listening to one of the episodes on a long run and somebody was like, oh, didn't that put you to sleep? Oh my gosh. So yeah, I know I've heard that feedback. It's fine. The thing about, (laughs) here's the thing about me and feedback. One is I, in my prior career, was in a very feedback-rich environment where I feel like the organization I worked with had a really good way of delivering feedback. And one of the things we would talk about in that organization is that feedback is a gift. Just like you get a gift at Christmas or for your birthday, you get to open it, you get to see what it is, and then you get to do whatever you want with it because it's Mm -hmm. yours. And that you have to pretend to like it. You don't have to pretend in anything. I mean, people, <laughs> maybe society would tell you that, but I don't pretend. I'm not very good at pretending I like gifts. You'll, you know, my wife doesn't like that trait about me. So you get it. Then you, then you get to decide what to do with it, but you have to detach the personal part, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this isn't personal. You know, I either listen to it and say, Hey, you know, I want to accept that feedback and incorporate it somehow into my podcast. Or I want to say, I don't. (laughs) And I'm going to say, all right, fine. You think that fine. My podcast isn't for you. And that's true, right? There's podcasts out there for everyone. Not everybody is necessarily going to listen to mine and that's okay. As long as I feel like I'm having impact, I'll continue to do it. I also don't do it for ego, pride, the money. I do it for the pure, truly the pure ability to have impact in people's lives and you know believe it or not that's true and so therefore it allows me a freedom of content creation that I think is really liberating and yeah I'm some people's cup of tea and I'm some people's not and maybe they still like it even though I can put them to sleep I think it's great I still listen to it on my runs (laughs) nice um so okay Switching gears. Yep. Well, I guess no. Fa- what's your favorite podcast that is running related that you could recommend? That's not running related. Running that's a harder one because I don't listen to running podcasts typically okay. unless I'm unless I'm 
doing research and trying to learn about somebody I'm interviewing or might be having on mainly because I don't want, I don't like getting ideas from other people or feel like Mm -hmm. I'm copying things. So I try to avoid that stuff just so I can keep my own creation process pure. So if I do listen to podcasts, it's typically not running podcasts. So which do you want? Do you want running or do you want anything? Any podcast. So I'm a sucker, honestly, for Glennon Doyle's podcast. Okay. I actually haven't. That's one that I haven't listened to yet. I like Abby Abby Wambach. What's that? That book, Untamed. Yes. Right? Okay. Untamed. I've read her book. I listened to that one. I I haven't read all of her books. Okay. But, and, and, and I don't listen to podcasts that often, honestly, because I'm creating it and listening to my own (laughs) too often. And so I, I dive in on hers on occasion because I follow her on Twitter and whenever she has a clip that's interesting, I'll jump mm-hmm. in. Because I think sometimes Glennon Doyle can be a little bit over the top. But in general, I like her stuff. I like Abby Wambach, her wife, because I followed her as a U.S. soccer player. Mm-hmm. So I'm a huge fan of her. And I think she has underrated insight on that podcast okay. as well. And so I'll dive into their stuff when I see a clip on Twitter that is interesting and so that would be the only one I actually listen to proactively. Typically, the only other one is if we're on a road trip with the family, we'll we'll dig into Dateline podcasts oh, yeah. because the true true crime stuff yeah. I'm into, but usually watch more shows than podcasts. Yeah, I am a little too into the true crime. Um, you just talked about not wanting to hear the noise of other people if you're creating content. Yep. So why are you not more active on Instagram? Which I think that's part of why. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm on Instagram because I have to be from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anybody who wants to DM me, I'll respond because I see it because I have to be active. I feel like from a business standpoint, I haven't posted personally since October of 2021. So it's been almost two years. Are you just going to keep it going until at least October? <laughs> you can hit exactly two it's years. not it's not going it's not gonna go I, I, <laughs> I struggle with being authentic in that space anytime I feel like I hit that box to create a post mm-hmm. and and I just feel like I can't even though I'm I try to be authentic as a human and I feel like generally what you see from me is what you get in that world I feel like I can't do it. And yeah. I try, but it's really hard and it just it doesn't come out right. It never feels right. It never feels true to me. So I struggle posting as a result, even though everybody tells me I should and I need to do more and I have plenty of content to share. So why wouldn't I be sharing it? And I just, I can't like it's nails on the chalkboard for me to do things that are inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And that feels like one of them. I, but I have a lot of respect for people that can do it more authentically. And I feel like you're someone who does I know there, you know, there are probably times feel like you have to compromise too for what you're doing as a running influencer there and content creator. But, but I feel like part of the reason why I appreciate your approach with Instagram is that it does feel authentic. So I would definitely say it feels authentic for me, but that's what makes it enjoyable. Yeah. That's what people connect to. Right. Yeah. And so that's cool. And you, the fact that you can do that is amazing. I don't think mm-hmm. I could be authentic in that way on Instagram. Right. Certainly not producing a lot of content. Yeah. And you don't have to be. I almost think it adds to your credibility. <laughs> Does it? As a run coach. I'm the anti-Instagram. <laughs> he's not on Instagram. <laughs> um, okay. If you could come up with a running related product, what would it be? <laughs> I, good question. I don't 
have anything off the top of my head because I feel like I, if I had that, I would have invented it, it okay. already. I think the, you know, this is not possible, but I think anything that would allow people to fuel without having to take a goo, a chew, that would be fantastic. or some ridiculous concoction mm-hmm. that was like a pill form, for example, like salt pills, I'd I'd love taking electrolytes, like boom, pop back a salt pill, drink mm-hmm. water. If you could create that version of a gel, you know, that was like a little energy pellet, I feel like that would be a game changer. I would buy it. So that would be what I'd want to try to invent because I feel like that's the one of the biggest pain points for runners. And there's a lot of solutions out there and none of them are really that optimal. We're all just kind of like sucking down the least worst thing we can find. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I like that answer. Worst or best thing that's ever happened on a run? So I'm guessing worst would be like getting hit by a car and like fumbling in the road. <laughs> best well, would be. Breaking my elbow was probably one of the worst things that's happened to me on a run. Okay. I fell on the green belt. Ouch. I don't remember exactly when that was, but might have been six years ago or five or six years ago. Broke my elbow. They initially, initially didn't think I needed surgery. But I started PT and my elbow wouldn't straighten. And so I had to do more scans anyway. I ended up having to have surgery about six weeks later to remove a bone fragment that had lodged in the middle of the joint and was preventing me from being able to open it again, even though the bone was healing. So that was pretty bad. Also run into a bear on a run, which was... Not necessarily a bad thing in Maybe hindsight. That's the best thing. It that's was cool. cool. Yeah, in hindsight, it was really cool. In the moment, it was terrifying. Yeah. Ran into a black bear in West Virginia on a trail run. Are you supposed to act big when you see a bear, right? So you're you're supposed to talk to it. Yeah. Act, you know, like, <laughs> I would hey, have bear. loved to see this hey, situation. You, you know, you don't run. You sort of talk to it. No, you know, let it let it know you're there without being anything, doing anything crazy. Right. In this case, the bear saw me. I mean, we were probably, I don't know, 20 meters apart. I came around this corner. He was on the trail. I startled him as much as he startled me. He or she, he ran up this little slope about 30 meters right after he saw me and then turned around and kind of like watched and I, so I kind of watched him do that. And then I slowly, you know, just backed away around the corner that I'd come from and then turned around and hauled oh my God. the other direction. So that, that was cool. That was a cool thing yeah. in hindsight, scary in the moment. Okay. What else? I mean, I, I, I've had some, I mean, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Rogue Expeditions because when I went to Slovenia and Croatia, with Rogue Expeditions, our running travel business, had some of the best runs I've ever had in my life because they're just so beautiful there. So are y'all doing an expedition soon? What's that? Is that still like an organized thing? Do y'all have one planned soon? We have 25 trips this year or or more. I mean, it's it's happening all the time that right now we've got a group doing our first ever trip to the Dolomites in Northern Italy, which if you go follow Rogue Expeditions on Instagram, you get all the amazing pictures from those trips. But yes, very, very much alive and kicking. In fact, 
we've I think we sold out all of this year's trips wow. in the early part of the year. So it's okay. it's going great. Cool. Um, all right. How much time do we have? Because that's going to really. We're an hour in. Okay. All right. Let's do a few more. Sure. Um, let's see. Trying to decide what would be a fun one. Well, do you listen to music when you run? Nope. Never have. In fact, the only time I've done it, I've done it one time. Literally, I can count on one finger the number of times I've listened to music on a run. And it was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I had bought my first pair of Apple AirPods. Mm-hmm. Did they fall out? They did. Okay. It wasn't a great experience. And I did a running phone conversation with one of my athletes because mm-hmm. we weren't able to see each other. So it was just like, hey, let's do a, a phone conversation. On the run together? On the run. Yeah. Like so we did that. On, you're both running. Well, I, yeah, we were both running, but in just different places. And we were just <laughs> talking. so cute. We were just talking on the phone. Okay. And so I had the AirPods in for that. And when that conversation ended, I'm like, well, let's see how this music and running thing is that I've never tried. Yeah. This would have been in 2020. And so I did it and I thought, I'm good. And I've never done it again. That is so baffling to me. I'm an introvert, Nicole. Yeah. So there is no shortage of things going through my brain at mm-hmm. any moment when I'm quiet and running is just that to the max. Yeah. I feel like running is the best time for that. That's true. Um, okay. How extreme does the weather have to be for you to not go for a run? Because I, mean, I think Rogue has been canceled like once ever. <laughs> we have, I still think we've only canceled one long run in, in our 19 years because of ice, I believe. Mm-hmm. I've canceled, I think, two Wednesday workouts now, one for lightning, one for ice, maybe three, you know, in the 13 years that I've done it. So yes, we, there is no bad weather. There's just bad gear, right? Cold, rainy, wet, whatever. I'm going for a run. I think I've run in all conditions, snow, sleet, ice, snow, rain, you know, heat, certainly. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there is, the only time I wouldn't do it is if for some reason I couldn't do it safely. Right. But would you, so would you run if it was, if there was lightning? Yes. Okay. I don't seek it out. Mm, sure. And I would probably pause a little bit. Like, let's see if this passes. And usually yeah. in Texas, our storms They're flow quick. through quickly. So usually you wait 20, 30 minutes and you're good. Mm. But I've run in many a lightning storm. Wouldn't recommend it to others. But I was going to say that comes with a, but you know, do it your own risk. I figure if you're not the tallest thing out there, you're probably okay. <laughs> Stay near the trees. Um, okay. Do we have time for one more to keep it at an hour? I don't think anyone is going to be mad about you asking more questions, okay. Nicole, since people are probably like, this is amazing. I've never heard Chris talk about this himself much. this much. No, I love it. I'm learning a lot. Um, okay. We'll do two more then. Okay. Three more. It's your last day on earth. How are you spending it? You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've watched the, there's a Disney plus series called Limitless with. I've, I've seen it on Disney the, plus, but I haven't watched it. One of it. the, I'm blanking on the name, the Greek God-like Australian mm-hmm. actor brother guys. Oh, I'm so, oh, uh, one of the Hemsworths. Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. Yes. And it's really interesting 
highly recommend it. Talks a lot about longevity and different pathways to that. But also he does cool challenges and so that's fun to watch. And there's a lot of science in it. But he does this this experiment at the end that he he didn't know what he was getting into, but they were like, We're gonna dress you up or or basically put you in a situation where you feel old. So they put makeup on him, they had weights on him, so moving was hard. He you know, he was basically they had put bands on his joints so that he couldn't move them easily. And so they were trying to recreate this idea of you're 85 years old, your body isn't working the same. They, they gave him glasses that were, that were messing up his vision and they put him into a completely created by the production into an old person community that was played by real old people but they were all essentially actors to create a scenario where he was living in an old folks home surrounded by old people separated from family and all that. And so he had to endure this for several days. And then at the end, he didn't know this was coming, but they put him into a situation where, where it was like he was on an operating table, like coding and there, you know, all this chaos is happening around him and they're like, and they had him die and then go into this quiet, peaceful meditation afterwards where he had to basically think about what he just experienced and where he would want to be if that was happening to him. And it was really fascinating watching it. This was the last episode of the series. So if you want to skip there, that's fine. But it was fascinating because he said he carried a lot of fear about death into the experience. And this puts you face to face with it. And the thing that he kept coming back to, you know, in thinking about how he would want his life to end or how he would want to spend final days, it it always came back to in his living room with family close by him, you know, just surrounded by the people that he loved and not doing anything elaborate or crazy or bucket list oriented, Mm -hmm. which, so I feel like for me and watching that was really interesting, but it also made me ask myself that same question, you know, what would I do if I knew I had a certain amount of time left on earth? And I, and I go back to that same kind of concept I would just want to spend it with family maybe at home maybe in some cool place Mm -hmm. but not doing necessarily anything elaborate I love that I think I would be the same um okay this is a very big shift after such a deep question (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like it's important why do you think that group training is important versus solo and what do you prefer well, if you'd asked me when I was 25, I would have said solo training, mm-hmm. love the introverted, go on a run by yourself training Same. mode. And when I was in my prior life doing consulting, both before and after grad school, I did all my runs on my own because I was mostly traveling. And so I would do workouts wherever I was. But then I joined Rogue and learning to train in the group environment through Rogue and then obviously coaching in a group environment has completely changed my perspective. Now I feel like I can't run without people. You know, there's not a day that I don't have a plan to meet somebody typically. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. one day a week, but that's max. And then I'm kind of like hoping I run into somebody, which is really strange for an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so now I much prefer the group format. 
I much prefer to coach in the group format. I do have one-to-one athletes that I coach and I enjoy that certainly, but I much prefer the group dynamic because I feel like as a runner and as a person, there is much more, there's more richness in the group experience Mm -hmm. because, you know, as, as it says in the Bible, iron sharpens iron. It's the same with running. I think it goes sort of both ways in a sense that you get both the ability to push yourself in groups, but also sometimes the ability to learn to hold back because the group's like, Hey, Nicole, you're going too fast. We need to slow it down. And so there's accountability in it. But then there's also, you know, especially in our world that's so digitally connected and people are so into their devices, you know, the time you spend on Saturday morning for three hours running with people, how often in life are we now doing that without something connected to us that's that you're checking or looking at, right? It's, it just doesn't exist. So we get these pure interactions. There's no masks at 5.30 in the morning when you're running for 20 miles. Mm-hmm. So you're getting real people, real interactions. And so there's so much growth that comes from that that extends well beyond the running part. And if you lean into that part of it, I mean, it just can go so deep, right? I mean, the friends that you make on runs and the things you talk about and the depth you get into conversation, I don't think you can find it anywhere else. I would agree. And so it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, again, you push each other, you see other people achieve and you know you can achieve because you're right with them. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, I think about you and Taylor training for Eugene, parallel goals, but different paths to the same finish line. Yeah. And even though you weren't step by step together, you know, even on race day or in training, the fact that you both were going at it at the same time meant that you had more chance to get there. Yeah. Oh, I think about that marathon all the time. I couldn't have done it without her. Yeah. And the long runs that we had together leading up and with, you know, the rest of the the crew too. Yeah. And then it makes it more meaningful too when you get there because you have somebody to share it with. Yeah. Who understands what it took. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can get sappy about this stuff all day long, but it's the absolute magic of what we do. And look, you can find it in our groups in person in Dallas and Austin, certainly, right? That's obvious. But you can find it in our virtual groups as well. I mean, those virtual communities are as strong as our in-person communities. And there are some ways that that make them stronger because in a virtual space, you don't have separation from front to back. You know, you're all in the same message board thread, sharing comments, questions, and you don't know how fast people are. Mm-hmm. So you're meeting people without that in mind versus on a Wednesday morning, you're at least physically separated for part of the workout because some people are naturally faster than others. So you get this interaction from front to back, so to speak in the virtual group that you just don't naturally get in our in-person groups. So that's amazing. And then of course, if you're one-to-one, you have your coach and via your coach, you might meet other people and hopefully you come to a destination race with us and find other parts of the community, but it's, there's always a way to connect to others and that's where the magic is. The last time I was on this podcast, well, when we actually recorded, I had yet to come to your group right. and to the rogue long runs. And now I can't imagine running solo for every, which I do still like my solo runs, but sure. 
It's crazy. The difference. I remember you telling me that you're not a group running person. Yeah, I was like, good luck getting me to come to. <laughs> I also <laughs> remember thinking, just give me a chance. Yeah. Just give well, me a I chance. Did, and I'm still here. <laughs> um, okay. Last one. This isn't a question. It's a request. Give us your best race day pep talk. <laughs> you know, the, one of the most important things I feel like I do as a road coach is deliver race day pep talks. Mm-hmm. And I've had to do it a bunch of times. I do it every year at Boston, every year at our fall destination race. We've got one coming up in, in Minnesota. And I take it so seriously because I know it means so much. I also try to keep it original and fresh each time, not only for me, but for people who might've heard multiple. So it's hard sometimes to think of new things, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the better ones I've given was in Boston a couple of years ago when I was, when the weather was going to be perfect in Boston, which is rare, rare. And so I remember everybody coming in with this energy of, like, it's amazing that it's perfect, but also, oh no, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have my normal excuses. Now we can't blame the weather. And so, so my talk in that, for that one was, what does it look like to seize the day? You know, carpe diem, seize the day. And in Western culture, the idea of seizing the day is a very aggressive posture. You know, it's like I have to be active and press and give everything and 110%. I mean, it's this very aggressive posture. But if you go back to the origin of the, the phrase carpe diem in the Latin, in the old poems by, you know, Roman poets, the idea of seize the day was Roman or Greek, who knows what, but the idea of seize the day was actually the image was the idea of plucking the day. It was the idea of a flower outside on a spring day that's just bloomed and you're inside working. And instead of working, you realize that the actual beauty is out there to be experienced. And so you're going to go pluck that flower, enjoy its beauty and actually be present and calm and not aggressive in any way. And so. So in that conversation, I was talking about what does it look like to seize the day when you're running and racing? And it's not this like press and be aggressive. It's more actually this, this ability to step back, to let go a little bit of your goal, to run your plan, to not be overly aggressive about it and then let it come to you. And I gave some different tactics about how to do that. But that was one of my better ones. That was good. <laughs> and on the fly, too. I didn't even prepare you for that. You did not. That but this is good. my job, Nicole. So Yeah, you know. it is your job. But sometimes sometimes I think about recording those yeah. and sharing them on the podcast. Mm, it hits different. But it hits person. different. And yeah. also, and also I, I want it to be special, right? I want yeah. people that are there to feel like they're getting something that nobody else is getting. And yeah, and of course... You know, I'm in a unique mindset when I'm delivering those because I understand what's at stake for people. Mm. And so I take it very, very seriously. And it's an absolute pleasure of mine to be able to motivate people in that way. Do you usually give people what you think they need to hear in their pep talks? 
And maybe sometimes what they don't want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that I would characterize it either way. Yeah. I give people, I tell people what I think they need to know or hear to get the goal. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, one of, one of my philosophies as a coach is that you don't play mind games with people. Mm-hmm. Some coaches do that. I don't think they do it in a malicious or negative way, but right. they just think, well, if I trick them into thinking X, then they'll perform. Yeah. I don't believe in doing that. I believe in authentically getting people to the right place. And sometimes that means having a tough conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the right and gentle way and with nuance, but, but I don't play mind games. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think you need to get the goal and, and that's it. It's amazing. So. You do a good job of it though. Solo too. I think you always tell me what I need to hear at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, Good. Good. I mean, I care a lot and it's been fun working with you because you're so open and receptive and, and everybody I work with is generally that way, but you know, you have to be willing to receive and learn and, and you know, not everybody comes with that posture. What did you call it? Being a dumb, a dumb athlete. athlete. Yeah. I say that with all love, Yes. but yeah, it's just your ability to turn your brain off and trust. Yeah. And look, I will coach all types of athletes. I'm not mm-hmm. throwing a negative uh, light on that person who needs more explanation at all. But there's a lot of value, I think, in that person who can just show up, tell me what to do, do it, and not, you know, get have doubts or ask too many questions. Right. And look, I coach at those athletes too, and I love them as well. Yeah. So I'm trying not, I'm not trying to draw a, a contrast or no. say one is better than the other. But there is a lot of value to just being able to turn your brain off because Mm -hmm. it keeps you from questioning. Yeah. And I know you're somebody who has a lot of doubts and anxiety that swirls. And I question a lot. And so, you know, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we shouldn't want to be something we're not. And I think whenever you have those things swirling, you you should always acknowledge it and and not judge yourself. Right. But then it's about, okay, well, how can I change that energy into something that's productive? And so that's what I try to do with you. But I feel like in your head, there's more chaos than in reality. Yeah, I would agree. Like you are very put together. And I don't mean that from a standpoint of, you know, like you're putting on a a mask or an image or anything. What Mm -hmm. I mean is, you know, we have a plan. You do the work. You plan for the work. You adjust around all mm-hmm. the chaos with your travel schedules and yeah. bachelorette parties and whoever else, you know, whatever else, weddings and so forth that are happening, you know, in your life. And, and you get it done. Yeah. You wouldn't, unless I told you, you wouldn't know I was anxious about it. Right. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I would yeah. know because I know you, but, right. but most people wouldn't know. Yeah. And no, I'm always anxious nine times out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but it's impressive. It's impressive what you've been able to do. And I think, and and as a result, it's a pleasure working yeah. with you as an athlete and truly the sky's the limit. I know we've, we've got a path yeah, to get do. big goals and a quick we'll pause it. because Chris found his way to talk about me instead of him <laughs> right. at the end of this Sorry, podcast. Sorry, Nicole. No, it's great. Um, well, we'll leave it there. Did we miss anything that you would have wanted to talk about? I don't think so. That was good. I think it was a good mix of serious with fun with running questions and non-running questions hopefully people learn something about me i think 
I think it was good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Well, Thank thanks, you. Chris. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for letting me ask you questions. I didn't think that you would like this idea. And sure enough. Here we are. Here we are. So yeah. Okay. Thank you, Nicole. And yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sure you'll be on soon for another Q&A. Can't wait. So there you go. Nicole Winter interviewing me, hopefully allowing you to get to know me a little bit better as your host. Thanks to Nicole for jumping on and doing that. And thanks to all the teammates behind the scenes that contributed to those questions. That was a ton of fun for me. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Go check out Nicole's page, Nicole M Runs at Nicole M Runs on Instagram. She's a great follow there. And go check out some of our Q&A episodes with her followers, which are also good, which we've done many of those recently. With that, we'll wrap this episode. Thanks to all of you for listening and following. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.